Hi Emma. How you doing? I'm okay, how are you doing? I'm alright, I've got a blood pressure monitor on for the next 24 hours, so um, because I have decided to lean really hard into the geriatric part of geriatric millennial. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and that's who I am now, a person who's concerned about blood pressure. Uh, it comes for us all, I guess. Does. So at some point it's going to make a loud beep and I'm going to have to edit it out uh, and the sound of <laughs> me having my blood pressure. <laughs> I mean, you could leave, now that you've told everyone, you could leave it in and just, I can't, you know, this, these are the beeps of your life right now. A thrilling behind the scenes insight into my life. <laughs> How are you <laughs> um, I don't have a blood pressure monitor on, That's so um, probably fine, fine, I'm fine. <laughs> That's good. Uh, yeah. Olivia is now joining in the screaming, it's like a party in here, of screaming cats <laughs> and medical equipment. <laughs> Sometimes it'd be like that. Yeah, and today yeah. it'd be like that. Um, um, who are we though and what do we do? Who are we? Uh, I am Dr. Emma Southern and you are Janina Matthewson and together we are History is Sexy, uh, a podcast that both answers everyone's questions about history that they don't want to look up themselves um, and triggers content filters all around the world. (laughs) Yep, no one likes the sexy podcast. Nobody likes the word sexy. Um, Yeah, it's a problem. It is. Uh, and so we have to, we probably should have thought of that when we named it, but it's a bit late now. It is a bit late now. It's a good title and I stand by it. And if the world is going to be too purient to appreciate it, then... That's their problem. That's their problem. Um, <laughs> and ours, because we get, like, our Twitter accounts suspended and, and yeah. that sort of thing. But, you know. Um, and somebody emailed us this week to say that they keep trying to download the podcast. I think they're in Germany, but um, it kept like triggering some content filter like maybe a child lock of some kind and it as obscene material and wouldn't let them oh no oh, so i mean about that. you can't listen do, but sorry that's unreal i mean I, the episodes are often marked as explicit because we sometimes swear and sometimes yeah. we talk about horrible things but i mean come on come on now um, let, let adults listen to their podcasts let everyone listen to the podcast. Let everyone listen. Um, What are we talking about this week? Yeah, this week we're talking about Amazons, um, which is a very contentious subject. uh, Yeah, everyone wants so much from the topic of Amazons, I think. Everybody wants a lot. Um, Our question comes from Anna Cora, um, and it is, how much of the mythical Amazon stories were true? Was there really a civilization of all women? And if so, how close was it to the stories we have today of Amazons? Um, and the answer to that is complicated and contested um, and will start fire at conferences. <laughs> um, as always, it's more complicated than that. It's always is, more complicated. It's the watchword or watchphrase. Yeah. Um, uh, so we're going to talk through the myths a bit. Um, like what did they actually say about the Amazons? Where do we see them? And then we're going to talk about the... Uh, like whether they were real and specifically we're going to talk about um one book which kind of looms large over the amazons which is um adrian myers the amazons mayors um which completely changed the face of what people think about amazons and also pissed a load of people off (laughs) 
that's a pretty good that's a pretty good way to go if you release a book and it does that yeah i'd be happy um everybody has to talk about it now and it is impossible to really find anything um about amazons in like if you just google the amazons her book comes up her ted talk comes up her articles come up because she got loads of press attention um she... It's such a big deal, this book, that I, I bought it on Kindle to yeah. do research. And then I said to Jamie, my partner, I'm reading this book about Amazons for History of Sexy. And he said, oh, is it the one that I bought you years ago? <laughs> um, and it was. It was. It has been sitting on my shelf with its big yellow spine for all of this time. And, that when I, and yet when I had to read it, like it's in the living room. I see it all the time. And I remember seeing it all the time. And yet when I had to read it, I bought it again because I it just, yeah, it's, I did return it. I managed to return it. It's okay. No money was lost. Amazing. Um, <laughs> See, but yeah, she... it's such a big deal that Jamie bought it for me. Yeah, for Christmas. and it, it did very well, and it is like the book. Um, and she is the person because she is a professor at Yale. Um, and she, um, she like so she has written now all of the like encyclopedia stuff about <laughs> them, and she is like the go-to person. Um, and then we're going to talk about how it pissed everybody off. Uh, <laughs> Um, and come to a conclusion about whether they were real um, and how close to the stories was it um, yeah so Amazons um, what do you think of when you think of Amazons before you read the book I mean nowadays I think of the incredible opening sequence from the first Wonder Woman uh, yeah. movie where they're all fighting on the beach and they look badass because that meant a, a lot to me in a weird way <laughs> like it made me quite emotional this podcast it did. That's why our second question is about World War One. But I think it was one of those moments where, like, I had not realized how much I wanted to see women being physically powerful en masse. Yeah. Uh, because you just don't see that. You you get one-off. You get one-offs. You know, you get your Ripley's or your Sarah Connors. But seeing a lot of women being very good at fighting and very, like, fighting in this distinctive way that didn't feel like it was imitating male fighting was very powerful for me. Um, and one of the reasons why I kind of will stand by that film, even though it's deeply mediocre and is not at all <laughs> accurate about World War I, uh, because that that sequence of them fighting on the beach is, is a really big deal. Um, but before that, I think, like, they just crop up all the time. Everyone loves them because they're fascinating. I definitely read some novel at some point where it was like the Amazons were a tribe of women and then the centaurs were a tribe of men and they just had oh. this sort of symbiotic relationship, whereas... Where if if an Amazon had a boy, she would give the boy to the centaurs so that he would be part of that tribe. And if the centaurs had a girl, they would give her to the Amazon so she would be part of that tribe. Which is not at all based on any actual myth, I don't think. No. It was just something that writer made up. But it's it's like just it. one of those things that I, I yeah. kind of like it too. Um, it's just one of those, they're always there because they're fascinating. Because they, they, they live apart deliberately. Um, they don't. They don't no. want to talk to you, yeah. They don't want to talk to you, um, yeah. Um, yeah, um, which is basically how the Greeks thought of them. Um, yeah. Or they had two versions. So there's, like, in Greek literature, there's, like, one version, which is the myth version, which is where they're hanging out with gods and heroes and Heracles and Theseus, um, and that is mm-hmm. the world of all women, 
um, where there are no boys and um, they are just women by themselves doing it for themselves. Um, And then there is the version, which is like the more ethnographic version, which is written by people like Herodotus and Pausanias, um, which is, and Plato even, um, which is the version where they are a gender equal society so where there are um men and there and but the women fight alongside them and hunt Mm. alongside them and have a um have a uh a relationship which is more equal um yeah which appeared as wild to the greeks who heavily oppressed their women (laughs) (laughs) they're not keen on girls um no they kept the girls at home Ideally, they didn't want to ever see them. They didn't want to ever hear their names. Um, yeah. They didn't ever want to look at a girl or have to have anything to do with them. And presumably they all just closed their eyes and had their like once a month sex. Unclear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they certainly didn't talk to them um, or fight alongside them or consider them. Although Plato thinks that it would be probably better if they did like in his laws he says that um the that it would probably be better if you trained up the women to be able to fight and do politics um because they would you'd be able to get more stuff done basically (laughs) Plato was a feminist who knew i mean mm, um but uh he largely thinks that greek women are useless um and a bit pointless. <laughs> that's one of those situations where, like, if you don't teach, allow women to learn to do anything, then they're not going to be as useful as they could be if yeah. you had, you know, and now we've or, got a... offered them an education. Exactly. Um, so he's like, oh, maybe we could have, like, trained them up a bit. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I agree, Plato. I agree. Um, because he's like, oh, look at the... Um, the women of Sparta like trained alongside boys um, but then didn't go to war with them but they did sport which was already mm-hmm. fucking wild for the uh, Athenians because yeah. when we say Greeks we 98% time mean Athenians um, because they left all the writing behind and not that many people from anywhere else did um, so this is mostly Athenian stuff and then later Greek stuff um, mm. but so your big Greek myths are um, a couple of mentions in Homer. Um, mm-hmm. Very brief, not very exciting, um, because he's not much <laughs> of one for like mythical beings. He just has the big 12, really. Um, yeah. Like fighting with people. Um, but there is, uh, there are continuations, like a big genre in ancient literature was continuations of the Iliad, mm-hmm. um, because it ends with Hector's funeral doesn't really end with the war completely ending um yeah and like what happened next is a big genre of stuff that people write about including um the Aeneid but uh yeah like one of the big stories is a thing called the Ethiopica which is about the um Amazons and the people of Ethiopia coming together under Memnon to um avenge the Trojans and fight by their side um and that's like a big amazon story it's lost but we have like 
fragments of it and mentions of it. Yeah, this is the frustrating thing is that there's all this stuff that's like, there was this great play about, or poem about this and we'll never know. Yeah. Never know. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, if we had time travel, this is what we would use time travel for, right? Is just going and finding the full books that were lost. Yeah, just going and like, rescue a quick manuscript. Um, yeah. Just to read it. Yeah, totally. Mm. Um, and also that cup that um, was supposedly made from being molded on Helen of Troy's breast. Yeah. Um, Although that might have been... I mean, that's the... The champagne glasses are meant to be molded on Marie Antoinette's breast. Yeah. So I don't know how I, much I believe either of those things. Um, it was a good... Not flutes, obviously, the flat ones. <laughs> She had very long, thin breast. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a big tourist attraction in the Roman world. It was this uh, cup that was supposedly based on Helen, like, moulded around her breast, which mm-hmm. brings, much like the Marie Antoinette one, like, makes you imagine someone moulding a cup around her boob. But I mean, it would have to be several stages, you would hope. They're not just going to mould the cup, because that's very, very hot. There'd have to be a lot of work with plaster. I hope they do it with clay, yeah. Yeah. It would take a long time. Um, well, no, what else was Helen of Troy doing? Anyway. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's one. Um, then the like the one I think that people would mostly know maybe is the um, labours of Hercules, a.k.a. Heracles, um, mm-hmm. and is the ninth labour. Um, this is from like 600 BC is the first time that we see this pop up. So it's a couple hundred years after Homer. And the ninth labor is that he has to get the belt of Hippolyta, who is the queen of the Amazons and the daughter of Ares. And her dad has made her this belt um, and given it to her as a representation of her dignity. Um, and she wears it and uh, somebody else wants it. And so... Um, Heracles is sent off to go and get it. Uh, mm-hmm. He initially, in the Pisander version, he initially turns up and um, talks her into it, basically, charms his way into the situation. Um, mm-hmm. and she says, okay, I will give it to you. Um, and then Hera uh, is jealous of how easily he has done this and Hera doesn't like it when other people are successful. She doesn't like it when other people do much of anything, to be fair. No, she's not a happy woman. Uh, (laughs) But gods just like fucking with people, to be fair. They do. Um, (laughs) So Hera disguises herself as an Amazon and goes amongst the Amazons and tells them all that um, Heracles is planning on betraying them um, and riles them up and they attack Heracles' boat, um, forcing... Uh, Heracles to fight back and then murder Hippolyta and take her belt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. It's not nice behaviour. He's not a nice man, to be fair. He's not a nice man. He almost nothing he does things. could be described as nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in that, they are very much a um, m- mythical and um, a female-only society where they are. Um, separated from the world and are warriors and are also related to the gods. Mm. Um, And they are descended from the gods. Um, This has them being, like, um, born of... um, It's uh, Ares and a nymph, and the nymph is called... I think it's Harmonia, the nymph Harmonia. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and they are all um they are basically um you know superhuman um yeah extraordinary in much the way that hercules is heracles is as a as a demigod um yeah this is not stories of people that you know um or any kind of ethnography um and then related to that story is the story of theseus his king of athens who later goes on to uh defeat the minotaur Mm-hmm. Um, at this time he is accompanying Heracles as one of his pals um, he falls in love with one of the um, kind of royal Amazons who's called Antiope um, and kidnaps her because Cause that's what, what you, you do when do? you love someone it is what you do when you love someone in ancient Greece and you're a, a, a demigod <laughs> or a hero um, he takes her home to Athens uh, where she has decided that she is very much in love with him, as happens. Um, yeah, because the it's kind just of natural Greek conception of things was largely that um, strong women love strong men. So <laughs> yeah, so um, if a man is strong enough to kidnap you, then you're going to fall in love with him, and that's there is just nothing the way sexier it. than being kidnapped. Um, yeah. So the Amazons, on the other hand, the rest of the Amazons are less pleased because uh, Heracles and Theseus rolled up, murdered their queen, murdered a bunch of other people, kidnapped uh, one of the queen's, I think she's a daughter or a niece or something, she's related somehow, kidnapped her, run off with her. Um, and this is what happens when men show up. In. <laughs> <laughs> um, they've ruined the whole day, basically. Yeah. Uh, and so she, they... Um, go to Athens, they travel to Athens and um, besiege it and engage in a four-month siege with regular battles, um, which became like a really big part of Athenian mythology about itself. Um, Because eventually there's this final battle at the Hill of the Muses and um, Antiope uh, flings herself in front of Theseus uh, and says that she's going to fight with the Athenians, not with the Amazons. Um, mm-hmm. And they think that she has betrayed them, so they shoot her in the head. <laughs> um, the Amazons are like, nah. Um, sure. So they kill her with an arrow and then take her body and go home again. Sure. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah um uh and that is those are the kind of the big ones like where they appear those are the ones i reckon that people mostly know about like an all-woman society who are big and scary and potentially um and will not take shit lying down like most um greek women are supposed to yeah uh, they are the they are equal to the great greek warriors and they are strong yeah. fearsome opponents but they are usually ultimately defeated because the greek heroes are the point and yeah the, you know the men have to triumph but they are both um powerful fearsome enemies and also highly eroticized desirable yeah. women oh yes very very sexy um, mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what you get in lots of art, lots of sexy, sexy ladies. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about that when we get to boobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is an important part of the myth, um, mm-hmm. which is that they cut their boobs off. Um, the words mm-hmm. used in um, the ancient sources are seared or pinched, um, which is a very different... <laughs> yeah. Uh, a very different imagery. 
Um, and there's very much the suggestion that they um, will, uh, that happens at childhood rather than waiting for them to grow and then lopping them off. But yeah, the one boob thing has developed into its own little uh, it's a little myth. The one boob thing is 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 truly wild. I love it, but we're not it gonna is. we're gonna get to it later. Uh, yeah, and then the last kind of big myth about them is um, this great story from Diodorus Siculus, who is a Roman era, um, who writes this thing, which is a quite useful um, kind of summary of lots and lots of myths, which he presents as history, uh, which is <laughs> extremely cute. Um, <laughs> He thinks they live in Libya, which is absolutely nowhere near where everyone else says they live. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone else thinks that they live in what is basically the in Scythia, the Caucasus, um, which is like Ukraine, Georgia, Russia mm. area. Um, Libya's not near, not near there. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's not even close. Um, nope. So he's not tried. Um, and he thinks that they um, have a gender-flipped society where mm-hmm. the women do all of the fighting and politics and the men do all of the child-rearing and domestic work. Um, so they're like seahorses. Yes. Um, and the men stay at home. And then he has this really long story of uh, the Amazons led by Marina, uh, who is mentioned in the Iliad, um, having a fight, like a massive war with the Gorgons... Um, <laughs> aka Medusa um, at the behest of the Atlanteans who want the Gorgons gone um, so they kind of get the Amazons in as a mercenary thing to fight the Gorgons where Medusa mm-hmm. is the queen of the Gorgons in this version um, Sure, and they're kind of um, matched reasonably well but um, they are being um, defeated by the gorgons until perseus shows up defeats medusa and like kills her by chopping mm-hmm. off her head obviously um and then heracles turns up and fucks with everybody sure of course um, as he does and it's like this version like this attempt to put lots of myths together in a cohesive um like historical narrative that ends up being bog world <laughs> <laughs> That'll um, happen when you just try to crowbar things into the same story. Yeah. Um, I feel like it all happened at the same time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, and then what we have is the, like, ethnographic side, which is the side that people try really hard to take seriously. Most notably, Adrian Meyer tries really hard to take all of this shit seriously, um, even mm-hmm. though they appear to be describing... Uh, they're attempting to describe people (laughs) (laughs) but amongst the people that they are trying to describe they are often trying to describe things like uh the man-eating people and the people who wore only black and the one-legged people and um (laughs) the people who use their feet as an umbrella and they end up sounding like an ena blyton book like did you never a great sign yeah did you read the like magic faraway tree books oh yeah yeah, that's what I always yeah. think about when I read things like um, Pliny and Pausanias and stuff. Like, uh, oh, you went to the land of the men who use their foot as an umbrella. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also the land of eternal birthdays. And <laughs> um, Anyway, first pop up in Herodotus, um, who is a... 
not quite as bad as everyone makes him out to be, but uh, just <laughs> makes it up uh, and is massively gullible um, and is wildly wrong about a great many things, bless his heart. <laughs> but he tried. He tried. Um, one of the essay questions in my final Greek history exam at university was Herodotus, father of history or father of lies. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, because... Um, he had a go, but yeah. his um, his his understanding of what was what was worth writing down um, and what was true is not the same as our understanding of what might be true. Which is, did yeah. it really happen? Um, <laughs> his understanding was much more: did people believe that this happened? Um, which mm. is fine and makes for a much more entertaining read yeah um, i'd prefer that any day yeah so he includes the amazons in a list of people who live in scythia um <laughs> which includes the man eaters who are nomads who have their own language um don't talk to anybody and are cannibals um, sure and the black cloaks who wear black cloaks sure um and so on and so forth um and he has the amazons who um are the progenitors um, of a uh, tribe of people called the Saramate, who are an Iranian um, nomadic group. So, <laughs> again, not very close to the Caucasus. No. <laughs> um, but he, his story is that um, some Amazons were taken hostage um, and were being transported... Uh, and they managed to overthrow and escape from their captivity um, and arrived in Scythia where they were hanging out. Um, and the uh, people of Scythia were so fascinated by these women who lived by themselves and did their own thing and were didn't talk to anybody and didn't need seem to need men that they attempted to seduce them by setting up a group of young men and making them <laughs> basically live next door and copy everything that they did. Okay. Uh huh. Um, and eventually, like one. Scythian guy gets an Amazon woman by herself um, and kind of rapes her, um, but she loves it. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Or at the very least, she doesn't protest. Uh, sure. And then she basically kind of hand signals to him to come back again the next day and bring a friend, um, which he does. And then gradually they all kind of pair off. Uh, sure like that uh, and then and this is my favorite bit this is massive burn I mean, the men could not learn the women's language so the women mastered the speech of the men <laughs> that part i believe yeah uh, <laughs> so the amazons convince the all of the men basically to go to their parents ask for their share um like what would be their inheritance and then go mm. away with them and then they all move to um basically iran um and he says ever since then they have followed their ancient usage so they ride with their men and they ride by themselves they go to war they dress the same as men um and they um cannot marry until they've killed an enemy man um sure so they um that's his his story about where these people came from this is adrian meyer's favorite passage ever <laughs> <laughs> um 
which we will come back to. Notably, however, what he says is that the Amazons were a women of uh, were a women only society, and they joined together to create a different society. And then finally, well, there's a bunch of others, but Strabo is the other kind of big one. Um, and he describes um, basically a um, he's really baffled. He's Roman era, and he's really baffled at the fact that people have not. Um, like have not managed to dispel the myths um right uh, and that they he thinks that normally with other societies by now the stuff that the greeks said we've all kind of got over and realized it was nonsense but with the amazons maybe it isn't nonsense um his like because it has persisted that might mean that it's true um his version um is that um the Amazons spend a lot of time off by themselves and they don't raise boys. Um, they give their boys to the Gagarians, who are their neighbours. Um, what they do <laughs> is they kind of mate with their neighbours. So um, they will meet up at certain times uh, with random men from the Gagarians and then they fuck and then the children who result from that, they keep the girls and they hand over the boys. <laughs> And they just basically just roll up and hand the boy over to a random Gagarian guy. Um, yeah. And go, here you go. This one's your problem. This one's your problem now. Yeah. Um, but they only have, like, they only fuck for this purpose and they never know who they have had sex with um, and they don't have any other, any further relationship with them. Um, right. And they only do this for, like, two months a year. Uh and Which I guess makes does. sense because women don't enjoy sex, so they wouldn't be doing that well, just to get their jollies. I think it's a demonstration <laughs> that they are super weird because they're kind of Greco-Roman uh, comedy stereotype was that um, women love sex too much. And the reason mm-hmm. that you had to lock them away, particularly the Greeks, like the reason that you had to keep women of status whose wombs were important locked up because um, they'd just be fucking wildly in the they streets. would yeah and this is the store like the storyline of quite a lot of greek comedy is that mm. women are insatiable and if you let them out for one second they will fuck <laughs> anyone um like the lysistrata is really funny it's where all the women go on sex mm-hmm. strike um which is the basis for spike lee's shira yeah. which is a uh, wild film that I highly recommend. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in order to end the Peloponnesian War, they all go on sex strike, but then loads of them are too horny and can't take it. Um, mm. And they really struggle with the fact that they um, that they can't get laid because it turns out they've all been shagging everybody. Yeah. Um, it's very funny. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, so that's the... I think it's a, a demonstration of how manly they are. They don't need to get laid constantly. They yeah, they can just hold their impulses in check. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, stock. Yeah. yeah. And then you have all of the stuff like... Um, the, some say... People say that they, like, deliberately hobbled their boys. No idea why. Um, <laughs> that comes from, a like, a medical text, a Hippo- uh, Hippocratic medical text. Absolutely no clue what that was supposed to be about. Um, I mean, Hippocrates seems to have had a lot of opinions about the Amazons, to be fair. Uh, yeah, true. Um, and then, obviously, the boob thing. Yeah. This is that you can go now. You want me to go? Go. Go off on boobs. Okay. 
part of this is linguistic, which is what, like, makes it doubly fun for me. So it's not only is it booze, which are inherently fun, but it's also linguistic. (laughs) So it's right in my wheelhouse. It was very fun earlier watching. I was kind of writing in the document and then Janina popped up in it and then just the word boobs (laughs) in big letters. But I feel like it's important. Like, that's one of the big things everyone thinks. Like, when people ask, were the Amazons real? The second question is, did they really chop off their boobs? So... I'm about to tell you where that comes from, and it's so annoying. (laughs) (laughs) So the earliest references to the Amazons as a people start around Homer, who was like 700-odd BCE. Mm -hmm. He, in the Iliad, refers to them as the Amazons Mm -hmm. Antioneri, which which according to to Maya, which, you know, there are some problems, but... indicates that the term Amazons or Amazones is referring to a group of people and then that Antioneri is referring to what is significant about that group of people to the Greeks, which is, it basically means uh, equal to men. So it's the Amazons where women are equal to men is what that means. And that mm-hmm. is the fr- the understanding that was then around amongst Athenian society for the next couple of hundred years until the the 4th century BCE or 3rd century BCE, 400s, when this historian called Hellenikos of Lesbos turns Mm -hmm. up. And I don't know if anyone has seen the film My Big Fat Greek Wedding, uh, (laughs) which is a fun time. There's this recurring joke that that her father always insists that every single word in any language in the world originates in Greek. And he plays this game where he'll ask for people to give him a word and then he'll tell you how it originates in Greek. And this guy basically does that too. So he takes the word Amazons, which the origins of are disputed, but it is not a Greek word. It is imported from another language. It just it just came from somewhere else and was adopted into the language, as happens with English all the time. Um, because that's how language works. Uh, but he decided that it was actually a Greek word. And he mm-hmm. decided that if it was a Greek word, then it meant breastless. Because A means without, and mazons sounds a little bit like mastos, which means breast. Uh, there was a rival claim that the mazons sounds more like meza, which means barley, and therefore amazons meant people who don't eat grains. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't as fun, so basically it didn't go anywhere. This was around the same time, and I don't know which came first or if they were influencing each other, uh, but Hippocrates claimed that Samaritan women, is that how you say Samaritan? Samaritan. Samaritan women seared the right breast of baby girls to ensure that their right arms grew in stronger. The idea being that since your body doesn't have to put any power or energy into that boob, it goes into the arm instead. Um. This is classic Greek medicine, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, classic Hippocrates. I right, sure, um, the energy's got to go somewhere. <laughs> but this is when Herodotus sort of comes in and, and fucks them both over because he was actually, like, obviously doing his best. But he was interviewing people best. and observing actual people. And he, in everything he wrote, he never mentioned anything to do with anyone removing breasts in any way at all. Um, so he kind of stumps off both of their claims, but everyone ignored it because it was super fun. The idea took hold and um, the claims started to revolve around... There were a few different uh, ideas as to why they would do this. Uh, there was 
the big one that it would make them more able to handle a, a spear and a bow mm-hmm. and arrow, uh, that it would make their chests less vulnerable uh, when they were attacked. So it was a defensive uh, maneuver. There were some who claimed that it was related to the bearing of children so that uh, they didn't want to breastfeed. So mm-hmm. they removed their breasts and then babies were fed either with mare's milk or with bone marrow, depending on who you ask. Um, there are also claims that it's just an example of how determined they were to reject womanhood and femininity at all, mm-hmm. which is part of the like there are there are various myths that seem to suggest that um, you know Amazons are meant to be something you do you don't they're a cautionary tale this is something you don't yeah. want to be the proper Greek women would never do such a thing while at the same time they were also venerated and lusted after it's a just a huge mess of uh um which is where it's worth noting that in artistic depictions of amazons they almost always have both boobs there's very there aren't if you see an amazon on a vase she's gonna have her boobs and they're often represented depicted in a one-shouldered tunic which was also similar to what was worn by men uh where one breast is bared and the other one is covered there are also that's also used in depictions of artemis and athena it's a very mm-hmm. common look it is how you show someone as a warrior yeah um mia does point out that the only like there are real cases currently in the world like in western central africa of of young girls having uh being subjected to breast ironing which mm-hmm. is often um performed on young girls by their mothers and it is to prevent their rape as they grow into Mm -hmm. puberty it's not clear that that's ever that's an old custom that it's an ancient custom that it was happening at this time and if it was it's not there's no reason to believe that would have been known of in athens but it's the only sort of clear example of anything like this definitely happening ever um but what might have been common amongst groups of people where women were active, where they were bouncing around on horses, is a form of breast binding. Mm-hmm. Um, there is uh, stories of various groups around the Black Sea where uh, when girls were approaching puberty when they were about 10 years old, they would have a leather corset bound around them. Um, there was a marriage tradition around that that they would, they would wear it until they got married, um, after which their husband would unlace it very slowly to demonstrate his respect and self-control for his bride so he wasn't, like, ripping it off her. Um, but essentially, it's also a form of sports bra essentially uh if you're going to bounce around on horseback it's more comfortable to have something secure holding your 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 bits in place um it's also related to protective gear and armor for battle um because when you see you know in comic books or it's really common to have warrior women depicted with you know armor that is shaped to their breasts um, but that's really, really dangerous and impractical uh, because the peaks of that are going to drive any weapon yeah. right into your sternum. Like they'll just deflect really it right. Really uncomfortable. Really uncomfortable. And any sort of force on the chest as a whole would also press the like that middle cleavage bit of that is going to go straight into your rib cage if you have any kind of force on the front of it. So in reality, when women were in battle, they wore chest armor that was pretty similar to armor that was worn by men, which of course is going to have a flattening effect. So if a woman is donned up in battle armor, you basically couldn't see that her, her boobs were there 
because they're there to be protected. Um, which also might have led to the one boob and not the other myth because it wasn't uncommon for armor to be one-sided because if you are if you are a right-handed person and you are fighting a right-handed person then most of their blows are going to fall on your left-hand side so it makes sense for that to be more protected while your right side is less so because that gives you more maneuverability in your own sword arm um yeah. so that that could be a reason why the one-sided thing uh gained traction um, which is, that's basically all there is about boobs. They no, there's no evidence that anyone ever lopped them off. And I think it's worth noting if you want to, uh, verify that, um, that it wasn't so that women could handle bows and arrows and spears. Uh, the Olympics are on at the moment. So you can just watch, <laughs> you could watch some archery and you could watch some javelin and have a look and see if the boobs get in the way. See how much they get in the way of the, <laughs> the arm. Um, the one... The kind one boob officer strengths in the right arm is clearly the best one. Um, it's brilliant. Um, the thing that gives it away as nonsense to me is when they talk about either pinching or searing the boobs off of baby girls. Um, mm. That make that's just what does that mean? Like, yeah, I don't, th- I don't, I, <laughs> I don't know not... if you've met a baby girl, but they don't have breasts. They don't have breasts, and I don't think that like searing would obviously damage the skin, but I don't think that that would prevent breast tissue from developing um that is a man who has never met a woman or at the very least never seen a baby yeah what the fuck are you talking about Um, yeah and the idea that like the the idea that women would chop off their breasts rather than just like press them in tightly so that they don't painfully bounce around is also (laughs) clearly developed by someone who does not have boobs yeah see this is so we're gonna this comes brings us to the like were they real question basically um and that uh which is a difficult one um <laughs> which is that 50 percent of people and for the very the longest time up until like adrian Meyer's book basically i would say most people would tell you that um the they were not real um they do not they're not based on anything real they are created by the greek people by mostly greek male writers who are greek culture is very much created by the creation of an other basically Mm. they really tell you like they don't create their own mores by saying what is greek but by telling you what isn't greek and by telling you a lot about people and creating a lot of people who are incorrect and then showing people dealing with it basically um mm-hmm. which is why there's so many good greek monsters um and good greek barbarians and good greek heroes fighting people um mm-hmm. but that they are very much interested in this other and the amazons are a, a kind of eroticized other who show both what is show both the kind of importance and the magnificence of martial behavior that it can elevate anybody if you can be a good warrior then you can be good at anything basically Mm -hmm. Um, and that they are magnificent but they will always be slightly weaker and they are also because they are women inherently barbaric 
um mm-hmm. and they come from the very edge of the world they come from Scythia um which is about as far as the Greeks ever got um and is considered to be like the edge of the inhabited world for them as at least as far as actual humans that they would consider to be humans um, <laughs> which is the Greeks <laughs> and no one else uh, <laughs> Athenians people outside of Athens uh, and then everyone else is eh. um and that they are like a, a monstrous but sexy monstrous other. Um, and that it, this is more about culture creating, like self-creation. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and say masculinity is always in crisis about kind of examining masculinity um, as much as it is about anything else. Uh, and like right up until the most recent edition of the Oxford Classical Dictionary. That's what you would find. Specifically, you would find, because I looked uh, to see what... I have the third edition, which is um, mm-hmm. like 20 years old now. But um, <laughs> uh, but the newest edition is only online. So um, so I checked the third edition and it is Ken Dowden, Professor Ken Dowden, who lectured me for my entire undergraduate um, and was my PhD supervisor of many friends of mine. Um, mm. And he is very much, would have been one of the go-to guys for Amazons prior to 2014. Um, and his argument is that um, Amazons have sometimes been used as evidence for an actual matriarchy in prehistoric times. This seems an attractive counter to the modern male prejudice, but it mistakes the nature of myth. Um, and that would pretty much be the the f- kind of, the basic belief um yeah. there were people who wanted to believe in matriarchies um lots of german people and lots of uh like first and second wave feminists mm-hmm. um yeah we have a question lurking uh about matriarchies so i'm holding that back to talk about it for then um and then adrian Mayer comes along and she is a folklorist um specializing in ancient stuff um mm-hmm. And her particular interest is the idea that she believes wholeheartedly that all myth is based on some kind of reality, that mm-hmm. all mythical stories come from something and are rooted in a reality that um, and are developed as explanations um, for a reality. So she wrote a book called The First Fossil Hunters, where she argues that all Uh, or most monsters in Greek and Roman antiquity were derived from uh, people finding megalithic bones. Um, Megalithic? That's not the right word. Um, Like like mammals and um, giant mammals. Megafauna. Yeah, exactly. And dinosaur bones and things like that. Um, Which is cool until you talk to a... um, uh an actual paleontologist and they're like when you dig up a bone you don't recognize it as a bone <laughs> like you have to clean it off a lot it just looks like a weird rock uh, yeah anyway uh, it's so also that's one her. of those things that like it, it is it's such a thing that i can understand wanting to believe but it is also a denial of and like and i think a lot of things that western civilizations write off as myth in indigenous cultures is actually hist- like there is a also a tradition of dismissing as myth stories yeah. that are based in reality, and we need to be aware of that as well. But I think it is a dismissal of the I think innate human desire to create fiction. Mm-hmm. Like we have we have always done that, and I think that um, 
it's difficult at this distance to separate between what was myth in terms of a belief system and what was myth in terms of a story or a parable or a fable like it's yeah it's it like there is any you take any given myth and yeah maybe there's historical basis maybe it's just someone wrote a story maybe it is to do with a belief system those are all possibilities to consider and they there may be evidence for each of them you know on a case-by-case basis that is different but denying the fact that people have been making things up forever seems like a a bad route to go down yeah um and that is her very much her uh everything is based in reality is her thing um which is grand uh but um she does like to push it as far as she can push it um and Mm. she does very well doing that and it's kind of useful i think to have somebody who will push it as far as it will go um, and then go way beyond as far as it will go um in order to to see where it springs back to if you see what i mean um so so the one side is didn't exist at all it's pure myth they made it up the other side is adrian meyer who argument in its purest form is that the amazon myths were garbled attempts to describe an actual scythian um tribes of um women warriors where um most likely men and women fought alongside one another and they mm-hmm. lived a kind of she describes quite an idyllic um and uh, delightful society which is um very happy and egalitarian and everyone's banging each other and all the women uh, ride alongside all the men and it's very free love and um yeah, on the free romp- love romping highway. around <laughs> <laughs> Rolling around doing your hunts and having your sex. Exactly, having sex, and and women can do basically whatever they want, um, and men can too. And isn't it brilliant? And she thinks her theory is that um, the Greeks uh, moved into Scythia, up into that kind of region, um, and they definitely had a presence there, and definitely interacted with the Scythians for trade and um, skirmishes and just had kind of cultural interaction Um, Mm -hmm. and that the stories that came back of women riding horses and um, carrying swords got turned into the Amazons. Yeah. Um, And she has some reasonable evidence for this and some less reasonable evidence for this. (laughs) Um, Her good evidence really um, is the archaeological grave stuff which is cool um and it is cool stuff um of lots and lots of um graves that have been found that were initially written off as being male graves Um, because they had weapons and they had uh battle scars and their bones and those sorts of things and those were assumed to be solely Um, male and a lot of them were dug up in the like late 19th, early 20th century when the entire technology for sex in graves was to go, that one's got a sword in it, that one's got a hairpin yeah. in it, uh, <laughs> um, and sort them on that basis. Um, but, but we can do better now because we, we can we do better now. DNA. We have better science. We invented DNA. <laughs> we have bioarchaeology and osteopathy. Osteopathy, osteopathy, whatever, osteopathy something um 
And there, with those, we can have a really good look at the bones and um, can see what their biological sex was. Admittedly, what these things never uh, really engage with is the idea that somebody could have the biological sex of female but not necessarily present as female, but Mm -mm. that's a discussion for a different time. Which Um, also then involves how did gender work in a society that we have... Which is not a question... That no. the way we were asked. And it's also not a question that Adrian uh, or any, as far as I can tell, people who are interested in Amazons are interested in. They are interested exclusively in the concept of people with breasts um, fighting. Yeah. Um, and that those people are inherently female. Anyway, um, we'll talk about that another day, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I basic- mean, we've done an episode on... Uh, you know, were women who dressed as men for the we army? Have. Women who talk- dressed as men can- and were they with trans men and we've you know there are thoughts in there there are thoughts in there you can go back to that one um uh the anyway they tend to be very male female um it's Mm. sex and nothing more Uh, and they um having kind of analyzed a lot of the graves that they have one of them like one of the most famous graves which is um not (laughs) this is one of the problems with adrian blesser um she will include anything that um, that agrees with her hypothesis. So she has graves from all over the world, <laughs> uh, everywhere from Turkey to China. Um, she will find a grave. Uh, and if it fits her hypothesis, she includes it. And she doesn't really stick to any kind of timeline either. So one of the coolest graves um, is from like 1000 BCE. <laughs> um but uh, anyway, this one does technically fit the um, fit the Brief. thing, which is the Golden Man of Isik, which is in Kazakhstan. Uh, mm-hmm. Kazakhstan, you'll know, not that close to the Caucasus, but okay. No. Um, but it was found in 1969, uh, dated to like the fifth, sixth century um, BCE, dressed in armor, um, fancy armor, and fancy boots that are covered in scales, which is cool. Um, that is cool. And surrounded by arrow-shaped, kind of gold-shaped and arrows and arrows, um, and golden decorated belt with like griffins and cool stuff on it, um, mm-hmm. and gold plates and embellished sword and dagger, um, and then a little mirror uh, and loads of beads in there, um, and wearing fancy earrings that are made of turquoise, um, and it was called the Golden Man of Isik. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. because there was a sword in there and everybody kind of assumed. Um, and then in 1997, people started arguing over whether maybe it wasn't actually a male. Maybe we had all made a a, a knee-jerk... Um, assumption. Assumption based on... Um, and maybe we should re-examine the bones because, like, the first person to examine said, oh, they're very small for a man, like, mm-hmm. comparatively for other graves we found in the area. Um, and it turned out that someone had just thrown the bones away. Oh, good. <laughs> They kept all the gold stuff and just binned the bones. <laughs> um, which is good. Um, mm-hmm. But she lists loads and loads of women uh, graves, female graves that are found all over the um, all over the Caucasus and uh, throughout the entire region, basically from turkey to china um that is a big part of the book is listing things which are like very cool 
um, skeletons of women found with axe wounds in their head uh, who have died by being shot with arrows, who Mm -hmm. have been buried with swords and daggers and horses, um, which um, all of which she interprets as them being kind of warrior women, which is fair enough. Mm -hmm. Um, People being buried with there's a real cool one from russia which was found in the 80s when they were trying to dig up for like to do some civil engineering um building a road or something um Mm -hmm. and they found as you do as you do this is how all the best stuff is found that's how they found richard third (laughs) that's my favorite thing about going to athens is that all the stuff they found while building the metro tunnels is in the metro stations yeah (laughs) because there's just so much stuff it's great um uh, anyway, they found a body of a 20-year-old woman wearing a gold crown, um, which is kind of <laughs> shaped into stags and birds, uh, a massive gold pectoral collar um, covered with turquoise dragons fighting monkeys, which I would quite like to own. Um, yeah, that sounds And incredible. then next to her, she's got a battle axe, um, a horse harness, and a Chinese mirror, and she's been shot. She's been killed with an arrow. Um, Mm -hmm. which is an easy way to interpret something as being um, a warrior grave. So she lists loads and loads of them. It feels really overwhelming that she lists all of these graves and hundreds of them, and she gives you all of these numbers and says, like, oh, we found, like, 112 graves that um, demonstrate that there were, in the 4th and 5th century, there were female warriors um, between the age of 16 and 30 and loads of graves that we thought were male have actually been reversed into being female because we've done mm-hmm. bioarchaeology on them and um, okay, this is a quote from her uh, the archaeological record proves beyond a doubt that hunter warrior hunter warrior horsewomen were a historical reality across a great expanse of geography and chronology from the western black sea to northern china for more than a thousand years where you're like good that's not the question we asked but (laughs) (laughs) what we asked was are the amazons real and what you've described for me is hunter warrior women on a horse um which is not yeah. the all-female society um, that I was promised by, yeah. <laughs> by... By your book that says the Amazons were real. Yeah. What I was promised by the myths was an all-female society where they gave the boys away um, yeah. and they were cool by themselves. And what you've given me is... Um, because some women, women sometimes fought in battles. Yeah. And that's basically... And that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. Um, And like when you strip away a lot of her framing, she has the guns, germs and steel problem, which is that she's really convincing. Um, (laughs) And she gives you a really good story using a lot of evidence that comes from a lot of places and makes you feel kind of like, whoa, how could she knows everything? Mm -hmm. Um, And then you go, hang on, why do you need to get so much evidence from everywhere? Um, and then you start to look for the gaps. Like, why doesn't she mention any Scythian art? There's quite a lot of Scythian art. Like, the Scythians were around for a long time, and we have all their grave goods, and we have all the stuff they made, and we have their tombs, and we have their cities. Um, mm-hmm. Like, they had a reasonably big city for, like, several hundred years in Ukraine. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to butcher the name of it, but it was called Kamenskoya Gorodesha. Um, sure. 
that's in Ukraine. You can like it's an archaeological site. It was a massive space. They existed <laughs> in the historical era. They uh, fought with both Philip of Macedon and Alexander the Great. They um, later became the Huns and the Alans and the Goths of that terrified the Romans. Um, <laughs> and we have loads of their stuff. Uh, but she doesn't mention any of it. And the reason she doesn't mention any of it is because all of the warriors in, and fighting and battles are just men. Mm-hmm. Um, and the when we see the Scythian and kind of think about the... Um, it Like, what we've got is isolated graves, all of which are have gold shit in them. And... Yeah. When you have gold shit in them, what you've got is the grave of a, an aristocratic person, a royal person, a person whose um, grave goods and um, uh, uh, and net kind of self-presentation is different to other people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and has different pressures. Um, and They're, They are... It's like basing your ideas about everyone who lives now on the grave of... The queen. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and you might well find stuff of the grave of the queen that you don't find in my grave. Um, yeah. And it is... Um, when we have weapons burials and we do have people who have died with axe wounds, it is a... It's only one interpretation that a woman who dies with an axe wound died because she died in a battle. Yeah, um, she could have been axe murdered. She could have been axe murdered. She could have had an axe fall on her. Um, it could were, have been a tragic farming accident. Yeah. Um, were there women who were buried with grave goods that uh, were martial in nature and were injured? Yes. Were they female warriors? Maybe, probably. Were they probably members of the aristocracy? Definitely, because it's all gold. Um, <laughs> and I don't have any gold. Uh, <laughs> no um and so she extrapolates a lot from that um yeah and then she does the thing which is really annoying which is where she creates this entire world based on reading herodotus and strabo and all of the myths and then saying all right so strabo says that they fostered out the boys um, or they gave away the boys. They didn't want them. They gave them away. What this might be is a garbled version of fosterage. Now, we don't have any evidence that they did fosterage, but the ancient Celts and people in Africa do do fosterage in order <laughs> to prevent uh, incest. Um, so therefore, it's possible that the imaginary tribe of people that I'm describing um, may have fostered out their boys and therefore what Strabo is describing is actually a very good way of uh, preventing uh, the culture from becoming too endogamous uh, and um, committing incest accidentally and it's actually a really good diplomatic way of ensuring good relations with the neighbours and you're like hang on what now why am I over here where (laughs) (laughs) Um, all of a sudden we've gone from maybe to definitely um, yeah and she does that for like a quarter of the book um, yeah. and makes a very convincing case based on very good writing <laughs> um, <laughs> that um, that she is describing a society that definitely existed 
Yeah. Um, when what I think seems more likely to me is that given that the Greeks were highly repressive towards women, didn't educate their women, didn't let them out into the street, kept them very mm-hmm. confined and very restrained, and who also were obsessed with what made other people different from them, as we have discussed earlier yeah. in the episode. I think it's entirely likely that there were societies around them that occasionally they came into contact with where women were more present and more yeah. more around and who did physical things, whether that was uh, being involved in battles or whether that was just riding horses a lot and Even shooting arrows at targets. Even just carrying the sword, they would blow Even just carrying mind. the... To- yeah. And I think it's not unimaginable that they having seen that would uh be fascinated by it and write stories about it and because it is it's fascinating to see people who are different from you especially if it's a way that in a way that can be both kind of scary and sexy which is everyone's favorite thing um that's true everyone's favorite thing is scary and sexy everyone's favorite thing is scary and sexy and so that and it ballooned from there into um into story and myth and so it's sort of based on reality that has been twisted by imagination which is yeah there's nothing and I wrong think with that that there is nothing wrong with the idea that they um that there were women who rode and fought and um, yeah. maybe even got killed in battle and yeah Um, I mean, she she makes the point in the book, and I think that it is fair, that if you are a nomadic people, then having everyone who can do anything do that thing is is a better way to ensure your survival. Yeah. You, if you if you can have 100% of the people willing and ready and able to fight if they need to, then you are safer than if you are keeping half of them unskilled and unfit for that purpose, you know? It just that is just log- that's a logical way for a for a group of people to operate if they need to. It is. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um that's... but sadly, um what nobody proves because it definitely didn't exist. Um, is that <laughs> there was a, um, a civilization of all women who didn't need men and um, smashed the legs of baby boys and gave them all away and only had sex in the forests at night. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately, um, yeah. because that would have been cool. Yeah. Uh, and would have been, um, it would have been scary sexy. It would have been scary sexy. And uh, also all of the specific examples of Amazons, you know, Hippolyta and all, like, they're, they're very cool. And it's nice to imagine those women existing. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. They're largely cool because they're descended from gods. Uh, yeah. But, um, that's how, um, that's how gods be. They mm. imbue coolness or extreme beauty, one of the two, into a yeah. woman. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do think it's interesting. I got a bit angry reading the introduction of uh, the Maya book, which is all about Atalanta, who is this legendary Greek heroine, because um, it talks, it basically talks a lot about Greek male society being obsessed with this idea of this woman who can't be tamed and who needs to find her equal and the thing about those myths is that they're not just about a woman who is powerful they're about a woman who overcomes misogynistic attitudes towards her yeah and they the the attitudes to having stories like that compared to the way they treated the actual women they knew uh sucks (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and it made me real angry 
Um, and this is all part of the the Greeks being way more interested in describing another and describing a um, describing the monstrous and the weird and the um, slightly disgusting or the deeply strange, just in order to um, kind of to describe say we're not themselves like, we're not in the like negative. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, they like to to fill in, like create a white space in which they fit, basically. Yeah. Uh, which is an interesting way of doing things and a very fun way of doing things. Yeah. Um, I think but they could have just let their women learn to throw a spear if they wanted to. It would have been fun. They would have been fun. Um, yeah. Instead, they uh, kept them hidden in the lady part of the house. Yep. Um, all right, now, Janina, what are we doing next time? Next time we have a question from Dan Cable, which is just how much of a dickhead was Oliver Cromwell? Yeah. So that's going to be fun. He asked this ages ago. Uh, and um, yeah, it's going to be fun. We're going to talk yeah. about Cromwell and Ireland a lot. Yeah. Uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't wait. Um, and uh, and watch Wolf Walkers maybe as a, um, as a revision. Yeah, that's definitely, my recommendation. definitely watch Wolf Walkers. It's very charming. It's delightful. It's got Sean Bean in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. film. Okay. Uh, okay. Up until then, if you have a question, you can go to historyofsexy.com and ask it there and buy things and um, find a link to our Kofi and Twitter and all the other places um, and say hi. Um, we now have quite a few Kofi people. Um I feel like I started reading them out now, um, and now I have you to set go. a precedent. I've set a precedent. Um, <laughs> so we have Stevie N. Florent, Tris Miller, Vanessa, Ida, Heinrich, Stefan, Scott, Philip, Nils, Rosie, Emily, Funk, Funk, Funk. I'm gonna say her full <laughs> name just because it's good. It's very uh, good. Banshee Workshop. Valentin, Amanda, and um, Neve as well, and Neve as well, who I got mm. off the top. Thank you very much, everybody. Yeah, thank you. That is incredibly cool, you. and we appreciate it a lot. We do, and we appreciate everybody who sends us messages, and um, they do all get read, even though I'm really bad at replying because once I start replying, it takes up so much of my day. Um, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you. We uh, like you very much. Um, yeah. And until next time, bye, Janina.